Good afternoon to everyone out there in the never space of the digital realm that is wherever you're listening to this on. I am your host, Samuel James Elliott of the Right Way Podcast Program. Thank you very much, as always, for joining me on another episode. Today, I talked to a very, very cool person, a co-founder and continuing owner of the Busy Bird Publishing House, Busy Bird Publishing House, uh, is based within Melbourne. They've been around for nearly nine on 10 years. Well, actually longer than 10 years now. Uh, I want to say that, I, I don't want to say they're an independent publisher or a boutique publisher because they're a combination of the two, but basically they're out there in the trenches and doing a lot of good work for publishers or be it for writers within the community. And as you'll hear from Blaze as she talks to me, there's always been a strong emphasis on wanting to get authors or as yet perhaps unpublished writers uh, a look in uh, or essentially a platform where they might otherwise not have been able to do so um, through maybe more larger kind of uh, publishing houses or journals that otherwise might give, not give them a look in. So basically with that in mind, Blaze and her husband founded uh, Busy Bird Publishing House and the Untitled Anthology is kind of a staple or one of their most well-known endeavours, writerly endeavours. It's basically an anthology that, again, there's no real theme for it. It's sort of just this broad, open uh, subject, albeit creative form. And it allows for, you know, some of the greatest, most daring writing that's coming through from the country. Again, that's with a strong emphasis on people that might not otherwise uh, get a look in with other publishing houses. So it's really the only thing in which one needs is to write something that's of a particularly high quality, but the genres themselves are disparate and broad. Uh, this particular one in which we're going to be talking about, or I talked about with Blaze, is issue number nine. Uh, I can certainly attest that the stories themselves are definitely a mix of darkness and light. Uh, you can pick up a copy of Untitled on Busy Bird's publishing website. I'll uh, be in touch about that in the outro of this particular episode with more information about that. But I want you all to give a big digital round of applause to Blaze Van Heck talking to me about uh, the formation of her publishing house, Busy Bird Publishing, and in particular discussing her anthology, Untitled, and even delving more into that, Untitled issue number nine. So everyone, please give a big round of applause to Blaze Van Heck. Blaze Van Heck, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program. How are you going today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. I'm so glad that we've finally gotten this opportunity because it seems like like we, we originally talked about this. We you know we said it weeks ago, and fate just kept intervening, and yeah. <laughs> you know they just it was just the the fates wanted to keep us divided, but now no longer here we are. This is happening. Yes. Excellent. Right. Good, good to be here. Good, good stuff. Look, let's get. I just wanted to get a bit of an overview because Busy Bird's story in terms of like your origin story and the history is actually very very interesting and a bit unique. I wanted to get a little bit of it from you, if you could, just like a little bit of an overview, how you guys started. What was your your mission statement kind of thing? Yeah, well, it kind of happened quite organically because I started off as a photographer mm. and my husband photo- was a photographer as well. But then um, about 15 years ago, I wanted to write my novel, so I went back to school and I learned about publishing. Never, never even was on the radar, but I loved the whole pro, the process. 
So I wanted to then steer our business into the publishing realm. Mm. So it was a big learning curve. Um, but Untitled was our, our baby, really. Um, so one of so Leslie Gamanis, who's one of the founding members of Untitled, he and a couple of other students and myself all got together and said, let's put out, well, back then we said, oh, let's put out a quarterly magazine. Uh, we were a bit more ambitious. <laughs> we had absolutely no money and pretty much no idea of what we were doing. In fact, the first issue one was actually... Um, just it was paid the printing was paid for on my credit card basically oh really okay uh everyone you know volunteered to help um i learned how to use indesign um and then we were were kind of off so um yeah it's kind of just evolved from that you know and we've now kind of published i don't know 600 or so books mm. um in that since that time so but really, Untitled was Untitled itself was about because we were all writers and we were um, really frustrated with how hard it was to get published. Mm. So that was really why we started it because we said um, you kind of have to be part of the clicky crowd to get published in Australia. I don't know if it's still the same because I, I feel like uh, um, I'm in a different space. It's hard for me to tell, but I think it is still a bit like that. So we wanted to be really unbiased about who we were publishing. We just wanted to publish good stories, basically. And um, that was that was kind of our mission, <laughs> was just to have no specific genre in terms of the stories, no nothing to do with um, commercial commercialization or, you know, what was the hottest thing or anything like that. We just wanted to find really good stories and uh, and give new and emerging writers um, a chance to get published. And that was kind of how it how it grew. It just kept going and um, we got a grant for issue four, which was awesome. And we got the grant for that very reason that we weren't part of the clicky crowd and that mm. we were much more unbiased than some of the some of the journals. And a lot of those journals aren't even around anymore. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, it's, it's prevailed, yeah. I mean, like you're talking yeah. about, you mentioned how you wanted to to give this platform to um, ensure that good stories get published and might not otherwise kind of get a look in with the kind of what you're, you're touching on there with the clicky sort of insular components of the industry, which, you know, is still, still around, still pretty prevalent. So how is it, Do you have you found, because obviously in the, what, going back 10, 10 years or so now, so yeah, in, the, yeah. in the time that that's happened and all these, you know, uh, anthologies that have been released. Have you found that it's transformed that much? Has the process changed or anything like that? I think you just get you you um, get a bit more slick in terms of your processes. You know, you um, the first few times you don't really know what you're doing and um, kind of make it up as you go. <laughs> um, as you but yeah, but you know, yeah, definitely you get better at your. It's more the admin and stuff like that that's tricky, you know. When you've got hundreds of people, like we, we get uh, not so much the last issue, maybe because of COVID, but um, you know, in the past we've gotten four hundred submissions and we end up with fifteen stories. So that's a lot of reading and a lot of coordination that happens. Um, so that's probably and obviously, um, you know, as a production team, we get we, and we get better at, you know, the layout and how to get it out there and all of that kind of thing. So not too much has changed though. We mm. still go about the process the same way. What about with, with um, COVID, like the, with the lockdown, did that sort of naturally affect things? Cause I assume that obviously, cause you're based in Melbourne, aren't you? Yeah. 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 
Um, and not like we we kept working here because we could lock the doors, so um, obviously no one came in. But um, we could still work remotely, which mm. was good. So you know our editors and what have you were at home and they could work, and obviously people could still send in stories. Um, but I did notice that we didn't get as many submissions as we normally would get. Oh, really? I'm not okay. actually sure why that is, whether it was that we had a shorter window or um, or just that maybe people weren't writing as much as we thought during COVID. Interesting. Sure. Interesting. Because yeah. um, I've, I've heard some some studies or some some belief that uh, a, lot, a lot of people are actually kind of writing more. Like they, they've kind yeah. of seen it as this this lockdown is the kind of like they're ex- uh, no excuse to Get stuff, yep. get stuff out there and start sending it out. But that hasn't been your experience, please. You well, had that happen. not so much for Untitled, but in other in other areas, yes, because we help people to self-publish. Mm. And so it was pretty quiet sort of early on, like March, April, May, and then it started getting really busy. And we did actually have a couple of people with novels that, was, that are dedicated to COVID because mm. they said they would never have happened if COVID didn't happen. So, um, yeah, definitely people got you know, um, took the opportunity to work on whatever it was they wanted to write. Um, but I know for a lot of people who um, who write a lot, their creativity was really zapped, um, mm-hmm. bec- either because they were stressed or, you know, they're stressed about money or I don't know exactly what, but um, for a lot of people actually had the adverse, you know, the opposite um, effect for them. I have heard that happen. I think that um, even Neil Gaiman kind of shared a, a tweet about something like towards the latter half of last year and he's like said that it was like the first sentence that he had written in six months or something like that. I mean, yeah. if, if Neil Gaiman's kind of affected like that, then, you know, you can only yeah. imagine the average schmo yeah. that's out there, you know, kind of cobbling words together type thing. So yeah. you, you you prevailed. You didn't really have sort of like that much of a negative um kind of experience it was kind of just business as usual really yeah yeah we like aside from the first few months where it was a bit of a dip Mm. um you know since say um i know september october we haven't stopped we're flat out so to the point where we're just saying to people well yes we can help you with your stuff your book but you're gonna have to wait a month wow um but but having said that our business has reduced in size in terms of staff so you know it's probably actually similar to what it was it's just that we don't have the the, the workers as such yeah so so how do you, how many submissions roughly did you get for for untitled this this last time i think it was um 180 or something like that mm. yeah which is still good um, considering, because out of that 180, only 10 got chosen. There's, mm. well, actually, no, 15. There's, there's four or five stories from short story competition and then um, the other, I think maybe, I think there's 20 in that in the latest edition off the top of my head. Um, so, you know, we do have to whittle it down quite a bit. And um, the quality of submissions was pretty good this year. Mm. So, you know, some, and that's the thing I try to tell people who are submitting uh, books or short stories out in you know to publishers is that it's not necessarily that your book is not a good story or your mm. story is not a good story. It could be that you know the publisher has too many similar type similar of stories yeah. or they're looking for something different or you know for for untitled especially you know we might go oh you know we've got three stories that are about you know bad relationships for instance um, so. 
even though this fourth one is good, we've got too many of the same kind of thing. So mm. that that one isn't going to make the cut. Or it might even be a word count issue. You know, we're, we're always aiming, in actual fact, this latest issue is probably about 5,000 words more than normal. We usually aim for about 40,000 words. I think this one's 45,000. And, um, you know, there might be some really good stories, but one of them might be 4,000 words long. Mm. It's too long to put in there. Um, so that can also be something that, you know, it's just unlucky. So um, I always say to people, don't think that just because your story doesn't get chosen doesn't mean it's not going to get picked up somewhere else. Yeah. And if we had more people to do it, we would actually give feedback to people, but we just don't have the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, because, like, yeah. that was kind of what I wanted to follow on for because there just must be a gargantuan amount of work that you're talking about there of, like, 180 submissions. So you, you then start off, that's kind of how the process works. You, like, you group somewhat together and say, this is this genre, this is the genre, and then... You go no, we don't that. even do that because we're not actually looking at genres. So we're just really, we're looking for, okay, which are the best stories from all of these stories that have come in? So we just start, uh, and every story is, re- is read by more than one person because uh, it's a subjective thing. So one person might love a story and someone else hates it. So usually every story is read by, you know, at least three people and they're scored. So then we whittle it down until we have, you know, um, maybe, you know, 30 stories, and then we whittle it down again. So they get reread. Mm. Um, so it's it's just like a process of elimination, really. And then when we're starting to get t- towards the amount of um, uh, word count that we want, that's when we go, okay, well, we've got these two stories. How many stories like this have we got? Which one of the best of these stories um, are going to go in? So... Um, that's where we start looking at the genre. It's not even the genre. It's more like the, the topic, you know, the theme of the, of the story. Mm. Um, because you could have, you could have a, you know, a sci-fi kind of relationship story and then a more literary one, um, but it's still they're about the same kind of thing. So we just try and pick which is kind of more interesting or, you know, sometimes we might want something that's a bit more humorous. A couple of our issues we've, we found that um, we'd kind of overloaded them with kind of more dark stories and we said, okay, we, can't, we have to mix it up more next time because mm. we don't want people depressed <laughs> when they finish the book. <laughs> no, but, I mean, like there is certainly like there's a, there's a big mix. I mean, like some of the stories, like, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're, they're more kind of in the realm of uh, particularly the ventilator um, one. I mean, that was the first sort of COVID um 19 pandemic uh theme story that i've i've certainly read and i mean like it was pretty yeah. confronting obviously this frontline worker um yeah. and then then you've got more kind of uh surreal stories like the person that's bartering with their charizard pokemon card to kind of get yes. it to heaven kind of thing and yeah. and, the, and the and the story in which that inspires the um the picture the on the front there beatrice and the yeah. turkey that was probably my favorite um mm. So, that, so does that kind of just happen organically? So you mentioned that you kind of you don't obviously want them to be all all too grim. Mm. So is there is there a conscious effort that's designed to balance both light and dark, or does it just kind of happen yeah. like that? Uh, no, we we do consciously try and do it uh, mm. uh, after learning after learning from the first few um, issues where there was one or two of the issues where we thought, oh, it's a little on, on reflection, you know, on in hindsight when we looked and went, oh, it's all a little bit bit of a downer let's make sure we have some humor in the next one 
um, all good story. It doesn't mean they're not good stories. It just means, yeah, we wanted a bit more of a balance. Yeah. And do you find that, um, I mean, it must be, do you find it liberating or to have not sort of like this kind of like set, really narrow, specific theme, you know, because some can get right down to like one word, one sentence or an image that people kind of have to write to. So do you find it a lot yeah. more liberating? Yeah, yeah. We, we really want it to be open and just for people to just send in, you know, whatever they want to write about. And mm. interestingly, like this latest issue, without even really trying that it, it is quite topical because there is something that sort of fits with the, you know, pandemic theme and then there's one about bushfires. Um, so I feel like it's a little bit of a reflection of social history as well, mm. which is kind of interesting. It wasn't on purpose. It's just how it, how it happened. It just sort of, yeah. I guess, burbles up to the creative collective surface of people, you know, yeah, with, with that sort yeah. of thing. I mean, yeah. at one, like I like the mention at the foreword written by the intern, the person, my name, their name escapes me at the moment, but they were talking about how the collection kind of surmises or kind of represents the importance or the need for storytelling in these sort of times. Is that kind of like mm. what you were on the money there? Yeah, if you, even if you think about everyone being, you know, uh, especially in here in Melbourne where we were locked down for like 120 days or something. Mm. We watched a lot of Netflix and Stan and what have you um, because I think escapism is something that's really vital to our mental health. Mm. Um, and, and creativity in general is something that really keeps us, um, keeps our souls alive. You know, without, without creativity, um, what do we do? Just work, earn money, pay the bills kind of thing. So I definitely think that uh, storytelling is something that's like it's a real human need and something that um, really just it connects us as well, you know, it connects human to human because we can connect through story. If, you, if you're feeling, um, you know, a bit lost about something and you read, you know, even fiction, fiction can let us know that we are not the only one feeling a certain thing and so we feel less alone. So I think it's really vital. That's spot on. It's interesting as well because it's not like everyone is strictly now because of lockdown and all the, you know, the kind of grim things that have happened that everyone's solely looking for stories that are just all sunshine lollipops. Because, I mean, again, the anthology is a blend of, of the two, but there is definitely some stories which are certainly um, confronting in some respects. And I'm wondering why that is in terms of the creativity and why that why even during these kind of tough times, people still seek out these sort of or, or write about these things, which, which you know, can at times be quite dark as well. I wonder why. Why do you think that is, Blaze? What's up in there? Well, I, for myself, because I'm a writer as well, mm. um, I write to try and make sense of things. Mm. So sometimes I'll be writing happy stories, but sometimes I'll be, you know, I don't know, mulling over some kind of problem you know, whether it's world peace or whatever it is. Just the small <laughs> um, so, issues. Yeah, just the small issues. Just small issues. Um, um, but that's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why people write is they're mm. trying to answer questions for themselves before even worrying about, you know, who their reader is or how it's going to be perceived at the other end. Um, it's, a, it's a process for themselves to try and work out, you know, the answer to whatever it is, you know, whether it's a a love story or relationship story or, you know, or what if, you know, this COVID thing got out of hand and we were in some kind of, you know, dystopian situation? What what if? So mm. that's where we try and make sense of things. 
yeah it's good to it's good you're right i mean it's important to kind of not shy away about that and kind of ask these sort of questions and it's good that you're kind of a writer that so you have that sort of understanding mm. and the, the writerly sort of uh frame of mind there so do you feel like the storytelling in which we are sort of telling is has changed noticeably i mean like you must have read untold literally thousands of stories have come across your desk have you found that since the pandemic uh people's storytelling what's what they're looking for or what they're writing about has changed noticeably or is it kind of similar sort of themes keep being revisited yeah i think it's i don't i haven't noticed anything nothing's jumped out at me Mm. um I, i did i i I think, though, from the last batch of stuff that came through, um, there was more variety. Mm. Um, in, in the past, it might be every now and again you will get kind of a wave of, you know, relationship stories or, um, I don't know, domestic violence stories or children dying stories, you know. there's Sometimes there seems to be um, kind of a, a wave of a certain type of story, but this mm. one didn't seem to be. There was quite a quite a range, mm. which was great. A range is good. I wonder why that is. Yeah. It's just like, is yeah. it, it, do you think it's because people are sort of, because they're in lockdown, yeah, like especially with Melbourne being 120 days or something, I mean, yeah. they're still seeing one another, but I guess maybe it's because they're, by virtue of being isolated, they're more kind of just with their own imagination. So it's not like this kind really? of... Uh, through osmosis of being around other writers that it kind of like rubs off. It's a weird one. I don't know. Yeah, what do you yeah, reckon? Yeah. Well, I think I think some I think sometimes people try and write what they think the market wants mm. or what people want to mm. read. Maybe people were just saying like well and I mean we can't assume when these stories were written. They may not have been written in the last year. They could have been old stories that people have dug up again. Mm. But definitely some of them are very topical. So it makes me think they have been written re- recently. For sure. Um but yeah, you know, um, I yeah, I just think um, it feels like people were just writing what they wanted to write, which is mm. great. Yeah, because you can really, you can really, um, you can really tell when you read a story that um, someone's trying to, you know, meet the market needs, whatever they are, you know, because they change all the time. At least there's not a lot of vampire stories, which we had one year of lots of them. <laughs> I'm sure you would have. I would have been surprised if you didn't, to be honest. I thought that, that was definitely, there would have been a huge a huge period of that because that's yeah, like, yeah. that's something that's kind of seems to be cyclical, yeah? Like it'll go away yeah. for five years and then there'll be this huge return yeah, to yeah. it and kind of like the urban fantasy sort of scape as well is pretty, pretty, pretty proliferating yeah. there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad not to have seen a vampire one in the last lot. <laughs> interesting look what 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 stand what makes a story stand out for you have you found like in your experience what is what what is what is is an aggregation of things is it one particular quality or component what makes a story stand out to you and this is a thing that people have to remember it's subjective you know Mm. what I like is going to be different and just because I'm a publisher and a writer doesn't mean I know everything I just Mm. have a certain thing like that I like same as when I watch Netflix there's certain things that I like and Netflix will actually start showing me things Mm. like what I like same as on Facebook you'll get shown things that they know you like um oh um for me, when you start reading a story, if you forget that, like, if you uh, kind of, uh, if you kind of feel like you've dived into that story, and that you're not thinking about it, 
that's a good story. Mm-hmm. It's a mix of it's a mix of good writing, imagination, and um, I think authenticity. You know, uh, you can have a beautifully written story, um, but there's not really any story there, uh, or the characters aren't real, or or there's a lot of cliches or things like that. So it's kind of like a combination of things that actually make it good. Um, you can have even a relatively, you know, badly written story, but the int- the idea is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And if we can see that it can be improved with editing, then we will we will we will actually go with that story. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can tell by the writing. It might be a good story, not very well written, but we can tell by the writing that the writer is going to struggle with any feedback that we give them. You, mm-hmm. That's just something as an editor that you learn over time that, you know, what, what sort of level the writer is at. Yeah. It's I don't know if that answers it. <laughs> no, it does. It does. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard question. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's a subjective question about subjectivity. Yeah. So that's not, yeah. you know, that's kind of a, we're getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, of some, some pretty hard to kind of ineffable stuff there to answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you look at the, at the market in general hmm. of, of books, you know, there'll be things that get awards and, and things that get published and you think, I don't understand why this hmm. has been published because it's shit. Right mm, mm. or or uh, or you read something and it's beautiful and you don't understand why it hasn't gotten awards. Mm, mm. Um, I will have you know I will have arguments or discussions with other re- writer friends about why something is good or not. Mm. And again, it's subjective. You know, we all ha- we like different things, um, and so you can't. Um, yeah, it's tricky because uh, um, you know everyone. Uh, I guess everyone just has the different things that they like, and sometimes you go through stages as a reader um, where you might go, "Oh, I'm really loving fantasy at the moment," or "I'm really loving you know sci-fi at the moment," or whatever. Or some people just don't want to touch that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, or they look disdainfully down at um, uh, romance or something like that. So you know, it's just about what what you love to read and what is good escapism for you speaking of like the love to read and the good escapism i like before as well what you mentioned as well when you said uh that right you can tell when someone's written something with like just writing the story they want to write they're not trying to write to the market um i want to kind of touching on the market because you're sort of in the driver's seat as a as a publisher does that sort of afford you do you do you feel like you have uh a freedom because you, you're obviously in charge of your own publishing house, that you can publish uh, works, highly original, daring works that otherwise might not get a look in elsewhere. Is that kind of something that yeah. harkens yeah, back to what you? Definitely. Even um, uh, even if you look at the cover, we had two different covers, but with the same uh, same story as the theme. Um, we had another cover that was very uh, traditional. <laughs> And we were we couldn't decide. We were all there was probably ten of us looking at this cover, mm. and every it was kind of fifty fifty. And um, we ended up going with this cover because I said, you know what, we're the publisher. We can do what we want. <laughs> people don't, you know, people don't like it. But yes, definitely. 
um, that's a bit too sight. It's kind of a double-edged sword in a way mm. because sometimes there'll be stories that we kind of have a soft spot for but they just don't quite make the cut mm. and we feel really bad because we don't want to uh, for the, that writer to be disheartened because they haven't gotten published. Um, and then, you know, we might actually also get sent stuff that's, um, you know, highly unpublishable and quite offensive um, that we mm. don't want to publish. But, yeah, definitely um, we love reading stuff that, um, uh, you know, is a little bit quirky or, you know, a little bit out there. And, and we're quite proud of the fact that Untitled has published quite a few people who are now, you know, well-known authors in Absolutely. the Australian landscape. Yeah. Yeah, and that we recognise them before they were even being published. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Kind of instrumental yeah. in, in helping there a lot. Um, it is interesting, and I'm not surprised by you mentioning that, yeah, I'm sure there would be some some wild, wild stuff that would come yeah. into the to the um to the old to the old slush pile. I don't know if that's sort of an antiquated term, but yeah, I'm sure that you yeah. would get no, some. No, still are, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean that therein lies the rub though, and that's kind of like what I, I would imagine would be the greatest challenge for you would be and correct me if I'm wrong, it would be you having to kind of sift through just just innumerable amount of material that you received in order to find what it is that kind of aligns with what you what you want. And again, this kind mm-hmm. of um, hearkening back to what you originally said about Untitled, yeah, and the mission statement for that is like giving a platform to uh, as yet unrealized authors or unpublished authors mm-hmm. that might otherwise not get it. Yeah. What we really, what really bugged us about publishing when we first started out was that we felt like publishers are gatekeepers. Mm. And in, in, uh, you kind of have to be in a way because it's like you have to choose between stuff. But um, we didn't want that. And that's why we have so many people read each story because we didn't want one person to be someone who decides that that's worthy of publishing or not. Mm. Um, there, were, there were quite a few stories that didn't make it that probably could be improved and be publishable. Mm-hmm. Um so we, we are very mindful of the fact that we, um, uh, un, we, you know, we are gatekeepers even though we don't want to be, mm. uh, purely for the fact that we decide whether something is published or not. Um, so, you know, we really, we really take that responsibility very seriously and, um, yeah, we, and, and we just really wanted to be as unbiased as possible about the story. So we, that's why we don't know whose name is attached to a story until after we've chosen it. Um, so that way we just, you know, we're just looking at the story pure, purely, you know, whether it's whether we like it or not. I don't know if I answered it. I can't remember the question now. No, no, you did. No, you did. <laughs> but do, do you think it's gotten kind of, you kind of, you also touched on there with the, um, you know, back in the, the old days with publishing and, you know, uh, how difficult it was to kind of get a look in. Do you feel yeah. like it's changed? Because I noticed that you guys have obviously quite an active social media presence as well. Has it become easier, do you find, to engage with uh, authors and stuff like that or not, not particularly? I, uh, well, yes, it's easier for us to engage with authors, but I think for anyone out there writing, it is yeah. actually harder to get published now. Mm. because um, in the short story market, there seems to be less, uh, there, are, there seem to be less journals mm. publishing short stories. That's one thing. Um, and, you know, public, the bigger publishers, you know, in terms of novels and short story collections, what have you, they seem to be more risk averse. Mm. So they're really looking for something that's, you know, they're really looking for the commercial aspect of something. And, that's, that's really hard because 
you know, it might, someone might have a really good novel, for instance, and um, the publisher might say, well, this is not going to make us $50,000 because that's what they need to cover their costs. Cover the cost, yeah. Yeah. So um, doesn't mean it's a, not, not a good story, but they just can't find a way to market it. And I know of lots of authors who have gotten a con, you know, have sent their book into a big publisher. Um, the the editor, you know, like the acquisitions editor, have has loved it. Mm. But then they take it to the marketing department, and the marketing department go, "Oh yeah, it's good, but we don't know how to market it, so mm. we're not going to take it on." So it doesn't mean it's not a good story. It's just they don't know how to make money out of it. And you know that that's sad to me. And this is why I'm such a huge advocate too for self-publishing because it doesn't cost as much to self-publish compared to traditional publishing. And so you don't have to sell, you know, 5,000 books to cover your costs. It's really, it's really gotten a, because uh, self-publishing, you know, a few, few, few years ago was kind of like uh, almost stigmatised. It was kind of considered this, uh, you know, yeah, don't vanity, really do it. Vanity, vanity yeah. press, yeah, vanity press, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and you're right. I mean, like it has changed a lot, and obviously you, you you've kind of uh, helped helped along mightily with that as well. Mm. So, what, what? Why do you think that has become such a such a kind of like a uh, not so much in vogue, but just like a kind of a pretty normal way now of of getting yeah, stuff out I, there? Well, the publishing industry is changing, mm. and uh, you know a lot of the big publishers are starting to outsource you know, editors and designers and what have you because their overheads are too high. Mm. Um, and so, and because of technology, you know, we have things like print on demand and global distribution and, um, you know, we can lay out books on, on our computers and you can use editors anywhere in the world. So it just means that what would have, say in the 80s if you wanted, I, I know my mum published a book in the 80s and it cost her like $30,000. Wow. And she ended okay. up with a pretty average looking book. Whereas these days, you know, you can spend a few thousand and actually have a really good-looking book. Mm. Um, it's a little bit harder to sell it, obviously, so you have to learn a bit of marketing and promotion, but mm. it's still very doable for people and it's quick, you know. Uh, once upon a time it would take 18, 18 months to publish something. Now you can do it in a few months. So it's just technology. Mm. Technology is caught up with things. In fact, quite a lot of traditionally published um, authors are publishing their own work because um, their particular publisher only wants them to write in a particular genre. So they go, okay, well, I want to write a different type of genre, so I'm going to publish it myself because they, their publisher won't publish it. So they're taking it, control of it themselves. It's yeah, it's amazing that, that that it does offer you sort of this freedom that you might otherwise. What exactly what you just touched on there? If you're yeah. a writer that doesn't just want to write in one genre, but then you have a have a publishing house that says, "Well, no, you like we've established this market and uh, they're receptive yeah. to that, so you need to continue writing in strictly in crime or you know uh, yes. stuff like that." So yeah. to then have that re- erased is kind of yeah, very liberating sort of thing. Mm. Um, what I wanted to end on is because, I mean, you've, you've delved into some really good stuff, giving an overview about Untitled and, and everything like that and how you've always wanted to give a platform to um, those that are writing sort of original work that they might otherwise not um, kind of get a look in. What advice then, and bearing in mind that you yourself are a writer as well, what advice would you give to to authors, really, writing stories that might uh, ultimately be sent to you? What should they What should they be doing? Yes. Well, write the story you want to write, not what you think we're going to publish. That's one thing because um, there is, we don't have a magic formula for what we're going to publish. Mm. Um, 
because if you write what you love to write, it'll come across in the story. That's mm. that's one thing. Be professional about how you present your your um, your manuscript. You know, make sure you proofread it. Make sure you follow any guidelines, whether you're sending it to us or any other publisher. Follow the guidelines because if you get someone who's had a long day and you and they open up your file and it's a mess, a mess, yeah, they're going to get pissed off and not even read it. Mm. And it might be a good story. Um, oh, they're, they're probably the um, the main things. <laughs> mm. um, what else? And I and I would say, you know, just keep sending it out. Just because mm. it gets rejected at one place doesn't mean it's not going to get published somewhere else. You have to have a thick skin, and you have to be so perse- you have to persevere. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, so true. I mean, you you're definitely yeah. definitely right. That subjectivity thing. I mean, it's just such a recurrent thread. In, and theme and you know so many conversations and uh, it's just so true i mean i think yeah. les les zig even said something in his little forward there before um yeah. you know announcing in the anthology that the winners of the, comp- the short story competition about the subjectivity yeah. and say give um after you use some like i'm paraphrasing but use a sentence like give this story to another another group and you'd have a completely different sort of um you know reaction exactly. or response it's just it is so sub- subjective and you are right again as well with the advice about um, just the, the formatting and stuff. It's just very basic because mm. if someone's had a long grueling day and they're looking at your thing at 455 yeah. and you, you could have, a, you could have a man book already, you know, sort of manuscript, yeah. but it's, it just comes down to that. It's just, it's, exactly. it's so wild how much of it kind of like yeah. balances on this whim of, of yeah. fate type thing. And and also the first page, you know, the first, uh, is, everyone learns this in, you know, if you go to workshops and stuff, but the first paragraph and the first page are really vital to hook the reader. Absolutely. You really want to get them sucked into your story. Um, and quite often I say to my interns, if we have a lot of stuff to read, I say to them, if you're not hooked in the first two or three, I mean, I, they do read them all, but... Mm. I say, look, if it's really bad and after three pages you just can't do it anymore, just you'll have to just ditch the story. And mm. it could actually, it could be a half good story, but the second half might be good and not the yeah. first. So, you know, get other people to read your stuff, be in writing groups. You know, you've got to do the work. A lot of people think, oh, I'll smash out a story and the first draft's ready to go. It's just, oh. it's not like that. <laughs> Not, not at all, not at all. No. Um, but no, you're so right. You're so right about getting other people to have a read of it and to read other people's work. I think as well is also really, really important. Um, yeah, be a so big reader as well. Yeah. You've got to read a lot to be a yeah. good writer. I feel like yeah. you're right. Connect with the community and and give back to the community as well. I think I think that's mm-hmm. that's like just so 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 important as well because I think you're right. Like, <clears throat> I think that there can be kind of this thing where people go, oh, "I'm just going to bash out this one draft." Send yeah. it through. I'm going to get a two-book deal. I'm going to be looking yeah. forward to seeing my <laughs> name on the New York Times bestsellers list, um, you know, kind of thing. And it unfortunately doesn't work out like that a lot of the time. But, look, yeah. as you're out there doing the good work, uh, thank you so much for talking to me, one, being cordial mm-hmm. and, you know, giving some some really invaluable uh, insight into how it all works. And, two, for publishing me as well in the anthology. Yeah, really, really. well done. Yeah, no, no, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. But um, yeah. no, seriously, thank you so much for talking to me today and being so generous with your yeah. time. It's much appreciated. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So everyone, that was publisher of Busy Bird Publishing House, Blaze Van Heck, talking to me about her marvellous publishing house and in particular the Untitled Anthology, which is kind of uh, what they've been 
releasing uh, every year for some time now. Um, so huge, huge round of applause and big thanks to Blaze for kind of giving us that invaluable insight into her publishing house and their selection process, everything about the inner workings, the cogs as it were. I'm going to be putting up on the bio slash description of this particular episode the website for Busy Bird Publishing House. So you can get on there. You can purchase their veritable wealth of different uh, books and materials in which they release, including uh, the obviously the untitled issue number nine, as well as, as well as all other issues of the untitled. But untitled issue number nine is the latest. It's got the picture of the titular turkey on the front there from Beatrice and the turkey short story. Uh, get yourself a copy now. It's got some amazing uh, writers and some truly superlative writing in there. And it's even got... Uh, my story, your old pal, yours truly, uh, Sam Elliott's, Samuel Elliott's, uh, I should say, story in there, I just said it. Uh, so, you know, grab yourself a copy, have a cheeky read of that. Uh, feel free to reach out to me, uh, give me some feedback as to what you think about that. But yeah, I can't stress enough, thank you so much to Blaze for one, publishing my work, two, for talking to me and giving the inside, and three, yeah, just generally being a good human and doing a lot of good for the writing community. So that was really, really Awesome to have a chance to have a talk to her about that. Uh, yeah, again, as always, I know I'm harking on broken record and such about it, but uh, thank you for listening to me as always. Thank you for your patronage. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow on Spotify at least. And you can always go back and listen to all the other episodes that are brewing, brewing like a cauldron, a witch's cauldron brewing there for your listening pleasure, uh, proliferating as it were. Got a lot more episodes coming up. Can't stress that enough. I'm fully booked up uh, till late July. Uh, it's looking like at this stage. Always trying to cram in more where I can. So all I can say is the the listenership, the amount of listeners that is uh, proliferating as well in sync with the episodes getting released is really good to see. Thank you guys so much for doing that. I'm going to do my absolute darnest uh, by way of saying thank you to you by continuing to yeah, uh, produce episodes, speak to really cool people about uh, that crazy craft of writing and uh, or not just writers as well, as uh, other creative types. Also, I think I've got an actor coming up on the program pretty soon. I don't want to reveal too much as yet, but all I can say is keep looking on the interwebs for everything on the social media profiles I've got. Thank you for those that follow those as well. If you haven't already, be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. And yes, thank you so much for listening. A lot more to come. You have yourself a lovely weekend.